You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a huge announcement to make. It is Friday, and we have another kick-ass podcast for you today. We're actually going to be talking with uh, a friend of mine who I have known for several years. Um, He went to the same high school as me. Uh, He was closer to my brother's age, but uh, we're going to be talking with a guy named Brent Roth. He is uh, hunts down around where I hunt in southeast Iowa, but believe it or not, he is fairly new to the sport. Um, He got deployed to Afghanistan through the National Guard two times uh, in the early 2000s. And while he was there, he he watched some some deer hunting shows and that kind of got him the bug while he was over there. So when he got back, he started hunting. So this podcast is all about that and then how he evolved as a hunter throughout 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, and uh, we talk about his first buck harvest this uh, this last year, along with a lot of trials and tribulations that he had to go to uh, go through, and is still going through, um, in order to become a better bow hunter. Uh, so that's what today's podcast is about. I'm Jack because it's Friday. You know that. You know I love Fridays. Hopefully you guys love Friday, and hopefully maybe you're not working a swing shift or something. So or nights or I don't know so hopefully you're not working this weekend hopefully everybody gets to spend some time with their family um my goal is to just hang with the fam and uh uh, I've been super busy at work and super busy uh lining some stuff up that I can't really talk about yet uh, but it does have to apply to this podcast and the nine finger chronicles uh it's gonna be something awesome it's gonna be something unique but it's not going to happen for a while, so I don't want to. I don't want to get you know put any thoughts in your head or, or you know don't contact me yet is what I'm saying. Uh, something big is in is in the uh, works, and I'm really excited about it. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to leave you sitting on the edge of your seats. Today we got this podcast, but before we get into today's podcast, guys. I talk about Exodus 
uh, a lot, right? They're the title uh, sponsor of this podcast. And I actually just got off the phone today with uh, Matt. You know, every once in a while I touch base with those guys. We bullshit for a little bit. And I just want to genuinely let you know that that company is owned by good people. And they're, you know, it's a business and they're definitely out to make some kind of a profit. But at the same time, they're out to make a high quality product first and foremost, because they understand that if they don't have a high quality product, they don't have return customers. And if they don't have high quality customer service, they won't have return customers. And these are two things that I've noticed over the years uh, of working with these guys that stand out above other not just trail camera companies, but all companies in the uh, hunting industry. And in this age of selling out to a giant corporation, these guys are, are really standing out in a space that is, you know, slowly becoming a let's try to make the most profit possible and make the cheapest product possible. Um, and, and, and that's what's happening when you see all these smaller companies or all these companies going under one umbrella. And uh, yeah, there's benefits to it, but there's also a lot of risk to it and that uh, and, and downfall. And that downfall is is lack of customer service and um, maybe a, a, a product that doesn't necessarily have the end user in mind. And I feel that's where Exodus, where Exodus trail cameras really sticks out. And as you know, with their direct to consumer, uh, you know, product chain there, you're, you're getting a higher quality product for a cheaper price. So just think of that, you know, their, their new lift too. I was talking with these guys uh, on the phone the other day, the new lift too is retails right now for like 230 or two yes 229 or 230 something if that was sold at a retail store that same tra- trail camera would be close to $500 and i don't know about you but i can't afford a $500 trail camera but you know if i plan right i can afford a very high quality $230 trail camera if I, you know, plan for it. Uh, and everybody has different budgets, but I really, I really enjoy working with these guys. Um, you guys know that. And, uh, they're just great partners. Now, if you guys want to save a little money on the new trail cameras, be sure to go to exodusoutdoorgear.com to find out more about the new lift two. And if you want to save $20, enter the discount code nine fingers. And, uh, by doing so at checkout, you'll save uh, $20. So that new lift goes from two thirty to two ten. That's a pretty decent savings, but, uh, enough of that. Let's get into today's hunter profile podcast with my main man, Brent Roth. All right, everybody, on the phone with me now, Mr. Brent Roth. How are you doing today, Brent? Pretty good. How about yourself? I can't complain, man. We actually grew up in the same part of Iowa. Yeah. So you went to high school with my brother, and uh, I think you were in eighth grade when I graduated. And uh, so one question that I have for you right off the bat is, is Bushlight 
was Bushlight popular when you were in high school? And is Bushlight still popular today in Southeast Iowa? Uh, yeah, it's still very popular. I mean, <laughs> nobody's going to turn down a Bushlight if you're offering one and you can pretty much guess nine out of 10 houses is going to have it in its bridge. <laughs> so it's, so, uh, they don't turn it down because if it's cold and if it's free, it's better than right. Yep. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. So, so not a lot's changed. I take it. No, same old, same old town. I mean, people are a little bit softer these days, but other than that, <laughs> yeah, everybody were, you know, they got soft. We were the studs back then, right? Well, yeah, my, my class didn't live up to it quite as well as your class did for <laughs> Torina, but they haven't gotten any better since then. That's for sure. That's funny. Now, why don't you tell everybody what you do for a living? Uh, I'm a County roads worker. So I plow snow, haul rock, uh, put in crossroad pipes for anything with the roads department. And then I'm also a National Guard soldier. I just did uh, 12 years now doing that, combat engineer. Nice. Were you deployed at all? Yeah, I did uh, two, two actually. The the first one's the one that got me into bow hunting. I got a, not to stick a knife in an old wound, but <clears throat> I got a hold of a video of you and shipwreck. And oh, after yeah. that, I came home. And that I came home in July, so I didn't that year. But the next year, I uh, bought my bow and started bow hunting. Nice, nice. So does bow hunting live up to that expectation? Uh, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then I don't know. <clears throat> there's a lot of guys that are former military that I'll tell you it reminds them a lot of their time there. Just the like I enjoy the grind. Yeah. You know, like when you're grinding, it kind of sucks, but when you look back on it or when you're not doing it, you kind of miss it. So I can Absolutely. relate hunting to all that stuff. Prep it. Oh. I mean, prep, I prep my gear over and over. I'll move it around, try it a different way. Realize I should have left it alone, stuff like that. Right. Right. But, so then, so then you were kind of introduced to bow hunting while you were deployed through watching videos and online shows yep okay yeah so then so then where was your second uh, deployment at uh that one was in Af they were both in afghanistan one was in the the northern region and the second one was in the southern region okay and uh both times i take it you got to uh i mean you weren't you weren't fighting the war all the time right you were uh you would probably had some time to chill and, and catch up on some of the, uh, the, the hunting videos and whatnot have people send some of that stuff over to you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, <clears throat> we had a lot of time. The second tour, uh, was a little bit slower paced just because the war was winding down. So the, we'd only go on missions like every other day instead of every day. And then yeah. it turned into every three days. So, we had some downtime, so Jim and I actually uh, bought uh, Primos the Truth, or no, not the Truth. It'd be the Primos Turkey Calling video, and I learned how to use a mouth call on the second deployment. Okay, <laughs> so you were sharing a, a like a hut or a, a tent with somebody. 
I remember I went on a car ride, a long car ride with someone, and I was practicing turkey calling. No, it was elk calling. I was practicing elk calling. And about 10 minutes into it, they're like, get that thing out of your mouth or I'm going <laughs> to shove it up your ass. So, <laughs> so did you get, did you annoy some people when you were practicing uh, calling turkeys? Uh, so, so my roommate was actually a hunter. <clears throat> so as long as he, like, so he'd come in there after I'd been practicing and I'd be like, Hey, how does this sound? And he'd tell me, cause I started with a slate and then moved to the mouth. But, uh, as he basically said something similar. He's like, Roth, I don't care if you mess with that. But when I'm sitting here talking to my wife or watching a movie and take it outside. So, <laughs> so there were some ground rules. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. So, Let's talk about this a little bit. You, when you were overseas the first time, you didn't really get into, um, I mean, you, you, had you ever hunted before or done any type of fishing or outdoor activities? What, what was it that made you say, you know what? I want to give bow hunting a try. Yeah. Well, I always grew up, so I grew up on a farm in uh, Southeast Iowa and so I'd always go fishing. Basically, when I was old enough, I probably wasn't legal, but I had a 22. And I just, like, if I was done doing chores, I could go in the woods and shoot squirrels. Yeah. And then I got older. I went and so my, Nobody in my, hunt, in my family really hunted, but as I got older, I wanted to get into deer hunting because uh, I have this huge, I, I've never actually scored it, but I've got, like, a massive five-point side of a shed. Mike and and it's big and ever since then I always remembered that I and then I'd see big deer at somebody's house so I always wanted to shoot big bucks but I didn't really know how to go about it so I shotgun hunted and that was kind of I'd go with a buddy but we didn't have a lot of places to go and we never really shot deer and then I basically I saw saw these videos and these huge bucks are like right next to you guys and they don't even know you're there yeah. And so that's what it was kind of like. And then I talked to some friends that did it too. Like, yeah, I see him fighting. You see all kinds of stuff. So that's what kind of sparked it. Right, right. So you had you, you had some hunting in your background. It's just that you wanted, it sounds to me like you wanted a different type of experience. So bow hunting was the answer for that. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you, and what, what year was it that you started bow hunting? I mean, it was just, it was fairly recently, was it? Wasn't it? Uh, yeah, 13. Okay, so no, 2012. 2012. 2012, yeah. Okay, so 2012 was the very first year you ever went out bow hunting. What what did you do to prepare? What were, what were where were you going for information? Um, how did you learn what to do in, in order to prepare for that first season? So that season I wasn't really prepared uh i got my bow and i just learned how to shoot it i got a bag target and just grouped it until the guy at the archery shop said your groups are pretty tight if you keep doing that you're going to ruin arrows and then uh so i saw that you guys used like a lone wolf i wanted a lone wolf but they're a little pricey so i went with uh muddy at the time right and then I just hung it on a field edge of like a CRP field and sat up there, crawled up there the first day and it was freezing. I stayed up there probably longer than I should have because I couldn't feel my toes on the climb down. <laughs> uh, and I didn't at that time. So 
I don't know if you want to come back to this, but that time I didn't really pay attention to the shows. I just watched these guys shoot big bucks. So I didn't pay attention to what they were doing as much as the fact that they were in a tree and they were sitting somewhere where deer seemed to would come and eat something and then they'd put an arrow in them. Yeah. Right. So it, it took you a little while to realize that, uh, the shows you were watching were probably on some, you know, other than what you saw with me, the the shows that you were watching were probably off high, highly managed, low pressure properties. Well, <clears throat> to be honest, I really only watched uh, your guys' shows because I don't I don't really like outdoor TV. To be honest, most of the stuff I like is online because it's more of the story. Just, oh yeah, you know, kill shot. Yeah. And then as I've gone along, I also noticed that they're managed. But the difference between us at that time was that you probably understood deer patterns. You understood weather. You understood wind. I had no idea. Like you'd say yeah. the wind. I'm like, well, I see deer come from all different directions. Why would I need to play the wind? You know? Yeah. I can. Right. And and I also didn't like take into account maybe the effective range. Like, yeah, I can see all this way but I can only shoot so far. So it doesn't matter if I could see all those deer. So I was on field edges, basically those first years more observing than I was actually hunting, you know, right. looking back on it, I guess I would say. Okay. So w- you mentioned you were freezing. What time of year was it when you were out? Did you wait until November to go or did you start in October? So my first year of 2012, I got called up to be deployed for basically all of 13 so all of October, I was gone at uh, training. So I okay. didn't get back to like the end of October. So the first day would have been like the very end or very begin, very end of October, very beginning of November. Right. <clears throat> okay. So then where did you hunt? Did you have a, did you have a piece of property that, I mean, did you know some friends? Did you, did you still have that farm from when you were a kid? Um, how did you start obtaining property to hunt? Because I know there's not a lot of public ground down in the County that we hunt. Uh, so I just so happened that, uh, my wife and I went on a double date with a friend who had just bought some property, um, in a pretty prime area. I didn't realize that at the time, but, um, they just bought it and he didn't hunt at the time. So I asked him if I could hunt it on a date when we were on the date. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he said, yeah. The, he was actually worried about the guy next to him uh, being on his property and poaching, which was actually a good good thing to worry about because I put up a trail camera and <clears throat> you could never see their face, but you could see people back there. So he let me hunt that, uh, that 40 acres, and that's where I started. Uh, I didn't think about the fact that I had uncles and cousins with a lot more than 40 acres at that time. <clears throat> so I hunted that for a year or for a couple months and then I got deployed and then I came home and I kind of got the impression that now he's hunting and it's only 40 acres and his brother's hunting on it too. And he didn't come out and say it, but I kind of got the feeling that, uh, you know, if I, if I wanted to hunt there, it was kind of when they weren't there. Right. Right. So going back to the, that, the, the month that you had to hunt before you were deployed for 2013, what, what 
happened? How how often did you get to go out and hunt? I mean, were you busted? Did you get frustrated? Fill us in on on how that f- first inaugural season went. Okay, so the first day, like I said, it was cold. I didn't see anything. I think my wife talked to somebody that day and that knew about knew more about hunting than I did at the time and said because all I'd ever done before then were deer drives. Yeah. So doesn't matter if they're bedded or not if you step next to them they're going to jump up and, and move towards the towards the standards most of the time so anyways he told her he's like it was too cold for him to be out so i went out the next day so i didn't have vacation because i was using the vacation for family time so it would have been a saturday that was cold i went out a sunday and i can't i think there were some two little bucks that came out and i knew from you know, shotgun hunting, if I wanted to shoot big ones, I couldn't shoot little ones. So, but I got to watch these two bucks. I'd um, gotten some dopey and I drug it from my truck to a little tree. It's actually a perfect tree for a scrape tree, looking back on it. And these two bucks came and sniffed it and wrestled around and fought with each other. And so I enjoyed watching that. And then came my first lesson in bow hunting. Now's the test your gear before you go out. <laughs> so, oh, <Brent. laughs> so I had a uh, like a small like pocket sized Bushnell binoculars just hanging around my neck, right? Right. And the three does come like walk right under my stand, and they didn't see I was there. And I mean, it was awesome. They didn't see I was there. Had no idea. So I go to draw. Well, I had to bend at the waist, and when I did that. The, I was at full draw, but I didn't have my hit my anchor yet, and that binocular clinked my bottom bow limb, and they knew I was there, and they took off. Oh, I think I remember you telling me that. Yeah. So, so you uh, a little bit of uh, poor planning cost you your first bow kill that year. Um, uh, at that particular time. How much uh, How much did you get to hunt the rest of that rut? Um, <clears throat> so there was that time. So I probably only got to hunt five days that year. Okay. Because uh, I can remember the day that was cold, the day I saw those bucks. Um, another time, a similar story, just something else making noise with what seemed like the biggest buck I'd ever seen at the time. Uh, he's probably a three-year-old but he had tons of junk yeah. and then, uh, and then this is when I realized I needed to learn how to do some kind of calling. I saw a huge, you know, nice wide framed eight, but he was on the complete other side of the field and he just, there's no reason for him to come to me cause I didn't give him a reason. So I just watched that one. Right. But you I didn't have probably, you didn't, you didn't have rattling antlers or a grunt call or anything like that. Nope. Nope. Well, actually, I did have uh, some antlers, but I didn't quite know how to use them. So gotcha. I didn't know that. I didn't know at that time that if you, you know, when you see them, you should rattle or, I mean, obviously it depends on the situation, but I didn't, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. Right, right. So then you ended up, you you know, you ended up having to quit early that year because you got deployed. And then how long were you over in Afghanistan for that, uh, that, that one? So I got back at the end of November in 13 okay. and uh, had a one. No, she turned two. She would have turned two. So she turned one before I left and she turned two. So my daughter turned two. There was just a little bit of time left in the bow season. 
so the so I went to go out one time and I grabbed my bow, got to the hunting property, realized I didn't bring broadheads because I just <laughs> pulled my bow out of the garage. So I sat out there for like two hours and, you know, enjoyed the quiet. And then I was like, you know what, the season's almost over and I haven't seen my family all this time. So I just went home yeah, and uh, basically skipped the 13 season. Right, right. And it's just be, you know, for the pure fact that you had been gone damn near a year or over a year and, uh, you wanted to put family first, uh, for the rest of that season. And then what concentrate on 2014, what did you do between, you know, the, when you got home to the beginning of the 2014 season to, to prepare, because it sounds to me like you were slowly getting bit. And you started finding this hunting thing a little bit more enjoyable and you wanted to educate yourself on it. Yeah. So I went into spring on that same farm and that's when I kind of got the idea that, uh, you know, I was going to be the odd man out. And my dad mentioned to me, he's like, Hey, have you ever thought about asking your uncle to hunt there? You know, I know your cousin's shotgun hunt, but I don't think they bow hunt anymore because they're so busy with crops. I was like, oh, that's actually a really good idea. <laughs> so I went and asked him, and he said, yeah, just talk to your cousin. He's the hunter of the family. He'll tell you where you can go or where to go or what to do. So uh, that would have been in the summer of thirteen or of 14. He took right. me out to their property, and just to give you an idea, it's like a big rectangle uh, one border or two borders are roads. And then the, the rest are neighbors essentially. Uh, And so it starts with like, uh, maybe 20 to 30 acres of, it could be any kind of crop. I mean, it goes from hay to corn to beans. They don't, they're not real, uh, particular. Right. And then you got timber and then another big opening and then another group of timber. So it's kind of like having two farms almost. Right. But they're, but it's the same deer the one side is complete so the first year the one timber they still had cattle in it and i didn't know back like i just figured out if there's cattle there there's a deer there so i hunted the other one um or actually there was a third one i forgot that that the what they rented sold but anyways so i set up a stand there and then my cousin told me kind of where where they traveled well i kind of realized after that that they traveled that way when they were forced to travel that way by shotgun hunters pushing them, but their, it wasn't their natural travel pattern. Right. So I kind of started um, paying more attention to like what, uh, to like trying to figure out the wind. I still didn't quite get it yet. Um, trying to figure out pinch points. And then, so kind of the fast forward through that season, I learned uh, another big lesson in bow hunting, and that is cover in a tree so i had a perfect spot but the tree basically once the leaves left it was gone i mean there was i was basically a big silhouette and a buck picked me off a nice buck picked me off right away that was i think that's about the the most experience i had with bucks that year and i never did get any does into range but anyway so that buck picked me off and then he circled around it could smell me and that's when i started started understanding how they use the wind and how they use the terrain 
right? So. so a whole bunch of really big lessons learned, it sounds like, in your first, you know, somewhat three year, three seasons, right? Now, mm-hmm. in, in 2014, were you limited still to the amount that you could hunt? Uh, were you limited to like a week uh, or just weekends or what was that like? I was uh, limited to weekends because I had just got a new, I got a new job when I came home. So I could have went to my old job, but just so happened, like right when I came off of leave, I got a new job and that job also was the job I have now plowing snow revolves around the weather a little bit, kind of like deer hunting. So those, so those good early snows when you'd like to take off have a tendency to get canceled sometimes Yeah, uh, for work commitments. But yeah, again, I didn't, I didn't really get to hunt a lot that year. So mostly weekends, mostly weekends. Okay. So other than that, you know, those other times in the, in the, you know, the times that you already mentioned in the woods, you know, that buck busting you because you were sticking out like a sore thumb in a tree. And then he circled downwind to, to, you know, get that, you know, get that scent verification and then really bust you. Um, what, what were you doing to educate yourself to become a better bow hunter? So at that time it was mostly, uh, just field and stream outdoor life. I bought one of those, like, well, I guess I'd say chintzy, like outdoor life, everything, you know, need to know about deer hunting books yeah. that, I wouldn't buy it again. <laughs> <laughs> what, like 21 tips to killing a big buck, right? Uh, it wasn't quite that bad, but I mean, similar. It might be yeah. right in front of me, actually. Yeah, we just moved, so I can't, I'm not going to spend time digging it up. But yeah, it's kind of, it, it, was, it went through the preparation and then what to do in the season and then after the kill. So it wasn't horrible and it kind of, it was kind of like deer hunting for dummies, I guess you would say. Right. right. So it gave Makes me some sense. stuff to think about. Right. Makes sense. Now, 2014, no, you didn't kill any deer with a bow, right? Nope. Did you get out and were you, were you still partaking in shotgun seasons at this point or were you strictly bow? Nope. Nope. Once I, that first time in the stand with the bow, I was like, well, I take that back. I did go shotgun hunting with my buddies. But that was because at that time, when I came back from my second deployment, I was still on orders. So I didn't have to actually buy a license or a tag. I just had to prove that I was, uh, that I paid taxes to the state of Iowa. And then if I were to kill a deer, I just call the DNR officer and he'd come and bring me one tag. So doe, buck, that's your limit, unless you want to go and buy a license. So I I was actually able to hunt three seasons that year because I never technically had to buy a license. So I still... So that's so I shotgun um, hunted twice. So that's a benefit of the military. If you're if you're active military, you can you can get away with not buying a license. You just go out, you hunt, and then you call the DNR and they'll come and bring you a tag. Yeah, you still for Iowa, you still have to have uh, hunter safety. Okay, well that's and pretty you might neat. have even had to have had a hunting license before. I'm not for sure, but I called. I had always heard it, but I called a DNR officer for our area and said, hey how does this work? And he said, basically when you shoot a deer, you call me and I'll bring you a tech. Wow. That's pretty so, awesome. Uh, that they do that for military. 
Yeah, well, and the nice thing was, is I hunted like three or four different counties, which doesn't matter for a buck for an Iowa resident, but for a doe, you know, you'd have to have a diff, an individual tag for each county. Yeah, that's right. So that was, so that was kind of nice. Yep. So then, okay. Other than field and stream, anything else? I mean, did you start messing around with gear more? Did you start looking into better equipment? What did you, what were you doing, uh, the off season to get ready for 2015. So for in 14, actually I bought a six to go with my stand. Uh, so it was a little bit more mobile. So wait, then, what, what, what stand did you buy right off the bat? The first stand I had was the muddy, muddy, uh, hunter hang on or the steel hang on. Okay. They don't make that anymore. I don't believe they make something similar, but it's not, the same as what mine was. And then I use like a mare step screw in tree steps. Okay. So I use those the first two years and then I switched to sticks after that. And so by 14, I had sticks for my muddy. And then if my bud bagged out, I got to use his uh, lone wolf alpha one with sticks. And that's okay. what that buck picked me off with. Um, so, so at that point, when ahead. you went from screwing steps to these these muddy sticks, was it easier for you? I mean, to get up and down the tree, or was it faster? Was it easier when you went from screwing steps to sticks? It was a lot faster, but I still hadn't uh, I still hadn't gotten that mobile concept mobile concept, I guess I would say. So I was faster, but I still was kind of the type of guy that. I put my tree, I put my stand here. This is where it's staying most of the season. I gotcha. I gotcha. So you, you, you had the gear, but you didn't have the, you didn't have the run and gun mobile principles yet. Yes. Okay. All right. And that was, that was 2012, 13 and 14. Correct. Okay. So then other than, you know, getting some different equipment before 2000 and, uh, the, before the 2015 season, what else did you do? I mean, were you were you were you happy with just your uncle's farm uh, that you got permission to hunt, or did you uh, um, go out and expand, try to find new property? Did you know? Did you educate yourself more on on how to be a mobile hunter? So this is when you insert uh, Wired to Hunt podcast. Okay. <laughs> so we have the annual training in the guard. Uh, my buddy Brent that, you know, yep. popped in your guys's podcast on the way up there. So that's like a, a 10 hour drive. I mean, it's okay. a long time. So we just started listening to him like episode, I mean, early, uh, you know, early on in your guys's podcast and just started listening to him. Right. And so the nice thing about driving a dump truck some days for the whole day is I can, listen to a lot of podcasts so i started listening to mainly the wired to hunt in my opinion for a podcast to be successful it's got to have contact and or context and then it's kind of got to have some personality yep so there's quite a few that i've tried there's only a handful that i'll listen to because yeah. of the you know you guys got to have a personality if you just talked monotone the whole time and <laughs> i mean i think you get where i'm going so anyways i started listening to wired to hunt paid uh uh the one with uh mark drury and the one with jeff sturgis 
really stick out to me. I listened to those multiple times just because they talked a lot about weather and Sturgis talked a lot about those high value days. Yep. And then they talked a lot about uh, the first time in, um, best time in. Yep. So I still wasn't, so for 15, I still wasn't maybe mobile like I wanted to be. But at that point I had two muddy stands with sticks and I would set them up. I would set up early season sets and then later season sets. And then again, I would get to use my buddy's lone wolf. So I was, I was, um, hunting the, I was hunting the stands, you know, more sporadically. I would spread it around. I wouldn't hunt the same stand, the same, you know, two days in a row or three days in a row. I'd wait for those, for those higher value days, like you talked about or uh, some of the stuff that Drury would talk about. And I started kind of getting into the the weather a little bit <clears throat> in the one particular morning in November. And so I started seeing a lot more deer. I did expand that year too. Uh, my cousin bought, another cousin bought um, some 40 acres that has like a two acre finger of timber on it and the rest is a field, but it's connected to a big, a big timber. Right. Uh, so that's a good spot to catch them cruising. And I've asked, I, that was kind of what I kind of, uh, where I'd go if I didn't want to ruin the bigger farm, just because that spot was so small, it was kind of more, you know, luck of the draw, catching them in the right wind cruising by there. Right. They didn't, you know, necessarily live on that two acres. So I started using that property to kind of, so I could still be hunting and I wasn't, you know, messing up my good properties my right. bigger property okay that makes sense so so kind of going back to you know you were listening to the wired to hunt podcast and you started listening to you know taking away from that uh tips and tricks and you and then you mentioned that because of that because you implemented some of that you were able to you know you started seeing more deer but it sounds to me like you were still on a rotation where you would leave your tree stands in the same place for a while and not necessarily take them up and down. Yeah. Okay. That All happened. Right. That happened this year. So okay. If you want to fast forward to that, or so. So in 2015, you start. You saw more deer. You started getting the idea of how to play the wind. It sounds like. A little bit. I'm still not a master, but. Right, but you you started to understand the concept, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So was there anything in 2015 that really stuck out to you, like you had any type of aha moments or, you know, you you failed again but were able to uh, have a takeaway from it? Uh, So it's a little bit uh, different failure, but I had, like, I'm talking jury TV size buck, come walking up to my stand <clears throat> you know you're just you're it's early in the morning and all you can see is like that you know how they kind of sway you just see these big antlers swaying through yeah. chest high gr- glass grass so i i learned two things the f- first is that when you see that you should probably pull up your binoculars and get a close look so later when you're looking at trail cameras you can maybe have an idea what that buck looks like <laughs> Right. Instead of just seeing antlers and, you know, peeing down your leg. Yeah. So, so anyways, this big boy comes walking up, uh, he stops perfect broadside. I want to say it was a 30 yard shot, not 25 yard shot. I 
took my time. I mean, he stopped, wasn't looking at me. Was the shooting him. light? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Plenty all of right. Light. Plenty so of light. all you could see really was his a big rack walking through the CRP or walking through the originally. Grass. Originally, okay. yeah. Okay. So imagine, uh, imagine like a tree line and then a little transition area of CRP and then a fence and then a huge CRP field. So I could see him through the the taller CRP and then. When uh when he came broadside, that was kind of more matted down grass. So that I could see his whole body. Uh, what I was getting at with the binoculars is just, you know, if you have the time to check him out, you know, check him out. Right, right. How far how far away was this buck when you first noticed him? Um, probably not more than fifty yards, just by okay. the because I because the way the terrain feature is and the line of sight I would have had. Right. So he popped out of nowhere on you. Yep. Okay. All right. So he, he pops out of nowhere. He starts making his way right to you. Then what happened? So I drew on him and hit him, uh, kind of, kind of high and kind of forward the arrow. I mean, you could hear the arrow like ding when it hit it. I mean, not ding, but I mean, you could hear the, the smack that it hit him. Yep. And he jumped out, jumped over the fence. I watched the arrow fall out. So he jumped the fence, and he actually, by the blood trail, I didn't see this because of the, the tree that was in my way, but he ran basically back the way he came along the fence. And then due to the terrain feature, he went out of sight. But he yeah. actually looped back around behind me. Uh, so, so I called my buddy, and he's like, well, stay in your tree. I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm climbing down right now, like, I'm <laughs> still yeah. shaking, but yeah. I did see. So when he jumped over the fence, I did see the arrow fall out. So I was a little worried. Yeah. So the, uh, so he's like, well, wait a while. So he waited, I waited and I'm luckily he's on third shift. So he drove out there during the day cause he would have worked that day. He came out, uh, it happened around eight in the morning. I don't know when the shot took place. Right. So he came out, climbed down. Uh, found the arrow, went over to the neighbors. So he jumped the fence on the neighbors, but it, he jumped the fence right back again, not too far from there. We followed him all the way to the creek. And then he said, he's like, okay, here, now's where you need to make a decision. He's like, how good do you feel about the shot? He's like, because when we cross this creek, we've walked all over this side of the timber. We're going to blow all the deer out of here. So if you think he's down, we'll go look for him. And I was like, well, I don't want to leave him. So we literally stepped across the creek and he's like, stop. And he looked up and he could see him and he got up and he had kind of a limp and the broadhead, you couldn't, or you could tell the broadhead had been fully in him, but you couldn't really tell how much penetration after that. Yeah. So, so we saw him get up. Um, we backed off and he was on the field edge that we should be able to see from the road. So we drove around saw him he got up and at that point he was running fine he looked fine we were pretty close to him and could see him well and you could see he had a little bit of a limp but uh never found him never the blood dried up basically around that creek area anyways and we looped around to another road and could see him running and at that point he looked like he was running fine so right pretty confident he's still alive but like i went back to his binoculars i you know, half blacked out. So I can't really tell you what his yeah. true antler characteristics were. 
right. just that right. he was well out past his ears and that he was tall. I can't tell right. you how many points he had. Right. So that was was that just because you had never had an encounter with any deer of that caliber? You you got buck fever and and kind of just went on autopilot. Yeah, and that was only the fourth time I'd ever even drawn my bow on a deer. Period. I haven't okay. killed a deer yet to this point. So what I did uh, after that, so I kept hunting that season, and then after that season, the first piece of gear that I bought was a was like a Reinhardt um, buck target, so right. that I could practice shooting a deer where I needed to shoot it. Was the next. So that's what I learned from that season. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Now, where do you go, kind of going back to the story? Where do you think that? Where do you think you hit that buck? High in the shoulder? I think I just hit him, kind of. Actually, I think it might have been low on the shoulder, but it didn't. It didn't penetrate. I think I sent you a picture of that broadhead. If you remember that, uh, um, I'll have to go back and check. But it's a. Uh, I don't know if you want me to say the brand or not, but the tip of the broadhead was like bent and it's uh, one of the tips, like the tip screws into the broadhead and then the broadhead screws into the arrow. So the tip was like, it was like you'd shot it at a, at a wall and it just bent it. If that what makes was the, any what sense. Was, what was the brand? I don't care. Tell me. It was a, it was a muzzy trocar, the 100 grain. So it was a, okay. And when, and it bent that because I, I I was under the impression that tr- the, those trocar tips are supposed to be extremely strong. Well, it was like it wasn't straight anymore. The tip right. of it's actually like you know crooked. Okay. But it hit. I mean, it so it hit bone for sure. Yeah. And uh, the guys, I you know, I I work with a couple bow hunters and I've got friends and everybody I showed showed that picture to were like, or showed the actual broadhead to were like, wow, it really pinged it, but it didn't go through it i mean it obviously stopped and then yeah. fell out so so something happened and at at 25 or 30 yards somewhere in that range you hit a shoulder and and what you're a you're a tall guy so your draw length has got to be what 29 inches 28 and a half okay 28 and a half so, so and what are you pulling for weight that was pre-shoulder surgery, so it would have been like 62 pounds, okay. I think. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly 60, but it was close to it. Okay. So something happened, and it, there was there was no penetration, it sounds like. Yeah. Okay. All right. Could it, could be a lot of things that accumulate or, you know, came to that, but uh, associate to that or whatever. But um, what did what did you take away from that, that experience? Well, so I took away that I need to work on shot placement so I can yep. make a group. I can hit a target, but can I right. hit it on a deer where there's no point and it's all brown? So right. I bought a Reinhardt, and then uh, the guy at the bow, the bow shop um, recommended Exodus broadheads by QAD. Yep. So I switched to those, and then I also switched to uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket, to uh, Eastern Full Metal Jackets. Okay. I was shooting... I was shooting uh, Carbon Express, not Mayhem's, Maxima Reds. Right. Or maybe it was just the Maxima. Uh, but either way, so I switched, for, and that was like a regular diameter. I went to the Easton 
FMJs, uh, 5MMs, okay. 5 millimeters. After yep. listening to your podcast, it wasn't actually with Easton. It was the one with the gold tip yeah. uh, got me talking about arrows. So I switched to Easton, switched to those, and I bought that Reinhardt target. Okay. So your your idea was to then practice on that uh, that target so that the next time you had an encounter with a deer, you knew where you needed to shoot. Yes. Okay. All right. So you hunt after that buck gets up and runs away. What was the rest of that season like? I mean, were you, were you pretty pissed that you didn't kill that deer or did you get back in the tree stand and grind it out for the rest of the rest of the year? Well, I still grinded it out. Um, and my wife's kind of under that. If you bought that tag, you need to fill it type of, type of mantra too. You know, if you don't fill your tag, you basically wasted the money at the same time. Right. So I kept on, kept on hunting. At that point, though, I, mean, I wish my, I, I wish my wife thought like that. You, well, maybe, she doesn't. I mean, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you bought the damn tag. You better kill a deer. That's not how yeah. it works at my house. It's you bought the damn tag. Now, why aren't you home to watch the kids? <laughs> <laughs> well, I get that too. Yeah, right. that's a whole, that's a whole other bag of worms. But yeah, she thinks like. Well, you know, you if you don't fill it, you wasted it. But yeah, at the right. same time, well, have you killed one yet? Because you need right. to come home and watch the kids. When do right. I get uh, When do I get my day? <laughs> right, right, absolutely, absolutely. Now, anything else happened in 2015? Anything significant? Learn anything? Any any more big encounters? The only other thing was uh, I wanted to maximize my time in the stand, so that's when actually 14 is when I um, decided I need a little bit warmer gear. So I started looking more into, uh, into systems as far as, you know, if I can stay warmer, I can stay in the stand longer rather than grinding it out as long as I can. And then, you know, freezing at the end. Right. right. So <clears throat> at the time I'd been looking a lot of uh, Cabela stuff, but their inseams on their pants were only 32 inches and I'm closer to your height. And 32 yeah. inches is, is, you know, high waters. Yeah. So I wasn't going to spend that kind of money on, uh, on something that didn't even fit right. So at the end of 15, I started building a, a thick system as well. Okay. So I could stay warmer. Right. So did you just drop all the cash at one time or were you, uh, did you slowly start picking stuff up? So that was when they uh, transitioned from Elevated 1 to Elevated 2. Yep. So I picked up, I got some of the bibs, the Elevated 1 Stratus bibs uh, for Christmas. So I don't know what they cost, but I do know that, I mean, I told them what I wanted. So I do know they're on sale. And then, let me think. I got a hat. I got like a, one of their stocking caps. And yep. then that. So in the spring, I happened to be at uh, Shields one day, and I was looking at the Fanatic jackets, and I've been researching all the stuff, so I could tell you most of the prices of their stuff, you know, off the top of my head. Yep. And it was like a hundred bucks. So I was talking to the guy and looking or whatever, and I was like, oh, I'll just try it on, so I know what size I want. Well, and then I looked at the tag, and it was a hundred bucks off, and I'm like, wow, that's hard to pass up. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a, I don't know if you've ever worn one of those, but those are really nice jackets. Right. So I get back to the truck and I called my wife to let her know I was coming home. 
And I was like, and I told her about it. And she's like, so if you go and buy this, will it shut you up for a while? And I was like, oh, yeah. So but she gave me the green light. So I went in there and, uh, and off the of past lessons learned, I said, hey, my wife said I could buy this, but I want to try and shoot a bow with it on, if that's yeah. at all possible to make sure it clears. So he, so they let me shoot one and, and, uh, cleared everything. So I, I got the fanatic jacket and it made a difference this last season. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's cool, man. Um, other than that, 2015 just kind of ended like slowly faded its way out. Ended in defeat again. Yep. Ended in <laughs> defeat again. All right. So at the end of 2015, you got actually, you know, you had your tree stand in the right place, right? So yeah. you just, you know, it sounded like you're getting better in positioning yourself for opportunity, but the, you know, at the moment of truth, you kind of failed, you know? So you, you, after that, you took steps. So after that season was over to the beginning of, of this past season, 2016, anything you did different to prepare? Uh, well, I started shooting at that, uh, at that Reinhardt target a lot. Uh, I would practice with my gloves on some, um, let me see. I tried to, uh, I tried to do a little bit more shed hunting, but I couldn't quite get it in, but I started, I got like a app from my phone and would sit there and just look at that app and try and decide where to, where to place stands and where to place cameras. Um, uh, let's see, I set up, uh, uh, one of those like horizontal posts, like what, uh, Ted Miller does. Yep. Um, and I just scouted more, but more than anything, I kind of looked at maps and then I just kept on, you know, I'd listen to, listen to Wired to Hunt and listen to your, your podcast. Uh, those are the, those are the only two whitetail podcasts I really listen to. I, there's some other hunting ones, but they're not really whitetail based. Right. But, right. but I really just, cause the TV, I mean, you, you see it, it's not, I guess it's entertaining, but if you've actually done it, you're kind of like, that's not realistic to me. I don't, I'm not going to have a property like that. So right. I just listened to Wired to Hunt, and if I didn't understand that episode, I'd listen to it again. I'd, I mean, if these were CDs, I'd have that. Uh, anything you guys did with Jury or Sturgis would be worn out by this point. I can <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> That's funny. So, so you got you know, and obviously everybody. I'm sure the people who listen to this podcast all, all also listen to Wired to Hunt because everybody listens to that podcast. But um, so you, you know, you continued to educate yourself on what you needed to do. What was your mindset then at the beginning of 2016? Uh, I mean, were you, were you gun ho? Were you ready? Did you have trail cameras out? Did you have, um, any mineral stations out before the season to take an inventory or anything like that? So that the year before I tried a trophy rock and I didn't really have, uh, any good luck. So I went to straight salt just to get them on, you know, to get them on camera. Right. Uh, so I had the original buck at the beginning of the story that ticked me off. I had him. And then I had one other buck that I never saw. So I nicknamed him ghost face. Cause I never saw his face. I always saw like the, like the, like either straight back or just like cocked to the side. 
of his antlers. So I had two bucks that were the the caliber that I wanted to shoot. I right. knew the area that they were in. And then at one, I'm not sure if it was on your own podcast or if it was on <clears throat> Wired to Hunt, but at one point you said something about uh, quit hunting field edges. If you want to shoot deer, get inside there. I can't remember word for word, but you're basically, and then you started talking about grinding. And then you said something about having six sands fed up and you didn't even sit all of them and that you're moving them. And I'm like, yeah. man, I wish I had six stands to just sit in, but he's not yeah. even sitting in them. He's moving to where they're at. So, so I, <clears throat> so basically what would happen is I had my muddies that I didn't really like to move cause they were, the sticks don't go very high. They're shorter than a lone wolf. Yeah. And then the stand is heavier, but my buddy has a lone wolf full setup that he doesn't use or he, he does use, but not, He's more of a ladder stand guy. So I'd wait. And so luckily the past couple of years, he'd been tagging out and he'd let me use it. So this year he tagged out pretty early. Actually, I bought it from him this year. So I made it, I traded him like a rifle plus cash for this full loan wolf setup. Okay. This year. And right. I set up, uh, set up my millennium and kind of where I shot that big buck that I didn't kill. I set up my millennium there, but I realized I needed to use that as an observation point because of where it was located. The previous year's deers, deer were always running behind me, kind of. There's, right. I mean, they came in front of me, but there was a spot, like there was one buck that was just crazy. He had a broken, one broken time, but he was like everywhere. I mean, anytime he rattled, he would come close. He was always chasing does, dogging does but he was always running that back spot behind me. So I'm like, this is a good spot to observe from. So I kind of took all the stuff from what the guys that manage property said. And then the guys that like, you know, DIY'd it. And then the guys that had a situation like ours where it's ground they can hunt, but other people hunt it. You don't own it. You can't really put food plots on it. So I paid attention to those patterns. And then I set up that observation stand. And then I started noticing this one or two particular bucks would bed in the neighbor where I could see them. And then I couldn't really tell, I could tell they'd come to the fence line and I knew they came onto my property, but I couldn't tell where they were going. So I got the, so I had the lone wolf at this point and I never set it up. I just, it was rode in my truck. If the wind wasn't right for a stand that was hung, then I'd take it and put it where I wanted to hunt. Uh, I should probably, I guess in the beginning of the season, I shot a, I shot a doe and didn't recover. So, so what, what happened with that? <clears throat> Another just bad shot on your part? To be honest, I don't know. I mean, I, I went clean through her. There was blood everywhere yeah. and I watched her basically die in front of me. And then she kind of crawled behind me and, but there was a, bunch more deer running around and I saw her like basically lay down and what I thought die. Well, then it got dark out and I went to track her and I couldn't find, I found the blood that I'd seen. And then I basically bumped her up. She was still alive and she ran a ways. I had to work the next day. So I looked for as best I could and I had no idea where she went. So another, another bad shot. So at that point I was pretty, pretty upset. And then, a couple of days, so I'd say that weekend, 
cause that was a cold front. So I got off work early to hunt that day, like mid October when I shot yeah. the doe. And then that weekend or the weekend after I gut shot at a doe and that was basically again. So I, again, it wasn't, it was a, it was a close shot, but I just made a bad shot, tracked her too soon, busted her off. Couldn't find her. So at this point I was pretty down on the season. So you and had two, kinda, so you had two deer that you, at the beginning of 2016 that you were shooting or that you shot and hit, but you couldn't, you couldn't find them. Yep. Okay. Now, then, wait, wait a ahead. second. Like during the off season, and this is just me asking because, you know, you got people listening to the podcast right now that are probably, well, he shouldn't be in a tree stand if he's going to hunt, you know, if he's going to, you know, just wound deer. So were you practicing Didn't after you hit these deer? Did you continue to go back? Um, and did the, the thought of target panic ever cross your mind? Yeah. So the, so the first one, I feel confident that it wasn't a bad shot. I just didn't let it sit long enough. Yeah. And then it ran away. Uh, the yeah. second one was definitely target panic. Uh, so what I did with that is at that point in the season, I would hunt in the mornings, but it was a far enough drive to my property. It didn't make sense if I was going to hunt that night to drive home. So there was a big pond dam so I could kind of be elevated. Right. Right. So if I sat by the pond and I would shoot down, uh, at my target. So I was practicing, especially after that, I went and rechecked to make sure everything was tight after the, the second one. Cause I just shot her back. Right. Um, and I, tr- I mean, I tried to track them both. So at that point I was, I mean, I was questioning myself as a deer hunter, like, yeah. <laughs> and my wife even got on me a little bit. She's like, so you're just killing these deer. And she's like, that's wrong. And I'm like, and so, but I had a few buddies tell me, you know, that's part of bow hunting, dude. Yeah. You know, you're going to lose them. They're like, it sucks, but it happened. So, so I questioned if I should keep, keep going at that point, actually. Cause I was like, man, so you were thinking about three quitting. chances. Uh, kinda, I mean, there, I mean, I probably wouldn't have quit, but you know, on the way home, you know, I'm punching the steering wheel and cussing and being like, you know, yeah. Why are you still hunting? Right. So then after, you know, after that 2016 season is still going, is it, what time, are you, what part of October is it at this time? Is it starting to get into later October? Yep. Okay. Yep. So it's, it's late October. Um, you know, by this time the, you know, the, the big mature bucks are just now starting to get on their feet, you know, late October. Did you have any other, did you start having any other encounters? Did you start seeing deer show up on trail camera? Um, why don't you, you know, walk us through the rest of the 2016 season? Well, to be honest, I don't know how your season went. Well, I guess I do. You killed a buck early. Yep. My season was, I didn't see anything. I mean, I'd yep. see them, but they barely moved. Uh, they didn't, there just wasn't a lot of, I'd seen a lot more deer in years past. It was pretty warm yep. a lot of the time and they just didn't move. And I went through base. So, so I went into my, um, rut vacation, which I get a uh, veteran's day off. Yep. Paid holiday. So I always, you know, throw that in there cause I, it's an extra day. You don't have to waste vacation or use vacation, I should say. So 
So I, I hunted that week and I mean, I barely saw anything. It was, I remember my buddy killed a buck the one day and I, and he called me and he's like, Hey, it's in a ravine. I'm going to need help getting it out. And I was looking for an excuse to get out of the stand cause it was, you know, hot and I wasn't seeing anything. Yeah. I went through the vacation, uh, didn't see much, didn't really have, cause you know, I have to save so much time for family. So I didn't have a lot to burn at that point. Uh, I did have, uh, Thanksgiving week. So the week of Thanksgiving, I get Thursday, Friday off too. Yep. So I had Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think scheduled to be off. Uh, my boss is a hunter and <clears throat> So he's kind of, we don't have to give a ton of, ton of advance notice. Yeah. I mean, you, if I really wanted to, I could call him in the morning and say, Hey, I don't feel like, or I'm going to go hunting today and he might yeah. cuss me, but I'd be, but I'd be like, if you don't have anything, you know, that you really need me there for, I'd like to right. take it off. And he'd say, go ahead. He'd give me a hard time about it. Yeah. You know, but he, <laughs> but, but he understood. Yeah. So. Right but I still didn't have a lot of time to burn. I had that already planned. So uh, there was nothing happening, but I noticed a small pattern of basically the neighboring property. There's like a pond with some timber around it. And there was always deer over there, but they just held tight to there. They wouldn't come to rattles and they were surrounded by a cornfield. So they had cover, they had food, they had water. They didn't need to leave this, you know, 10 acre spot. I just watch them. Well, every, every time they did leave it, they would come straight toward my stand. If you imagine like me being the, on a T, like right. a capital T, I was on one edge of the T, they'd walk straight to the T and they'd go the other way. And that's gotcha. where I had uh, my millennium stand set up. So you could sit in that thing all day, comfort wise, but you, I would never move it during the season. It's just too heavy and cumbersome to do stealthy. So I kept seeing them go this way. So at this point, I've got a lone wolf. So I also had to deal with, for the first time ever, some other hunters, bow hunter pressure. Uh, there are some guys that got their dates mixed up with my uncle and said they were going to be hunting the week that I wasn't there. They're from uh, Pennsylvania. So they walked in and ruined a couple hunts. And the first time it happened, I was like, oh, whatever. The second time, I climbed down and yelled at them. <laughs> and then I saw him the next day and was like, and was nice to him. And I was just like, Hey, you know, I don't know how they do it down there. If you see a guy in a stand, you don't keep walking like into the timber, you know, find, go, there's 120 acres here. You're seriously going to hunt within a hundred feet of me. Right. So I guess so I they, did deal with and some And that's private property pressure. too. That's private yeah. property too. Yeah. So it's yeah. not public where they have rights to everywhere. You know, there's yeah. there's probably some unwritten rules on private ground as well. I, I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So the first time I was, since I didn't know, maybe it was one of my cousins. Well, he wasn't old enough to be one of his friends, but maybe it was his father-in-law or something, you know, because I haven't met their father-in-law. So I texted him. I said, hey, is there anybody else out here? He's like, oh, sorry. Shouldn't happen. So they actually called the, the guy who... <clears throat> who he was hunting with or whatever, the local that he was visiting and said, Hey, don't let him out, you know, tell him not to go out there. Well, then he showed up the second time. That's when I kind of went, that's when I knew, you know, I kind of had the, the, the right or whatever, I guess to go say, Hey, right. 
you know, if you got permission to hang me, that's fine, but don't walk by me. But I mean, when they said he was from Pennsylvania and that he was the neighbor's friend, that's when I kind of, and you know, that's in the way they talked or kind of, you know, made it sound like you got to tell him to leave, tell him to leave. So, right. So then after that, I saw him the next day and he's like, well, I'm going to hunt over here. I said, well, I'll be hunting over here tomorrow. So, and then they were leaving. So anyways, that sorry about to get off track there, but there's, yep. <clears throat> so we dealt with that. So anyways, I started noticing a pattern, um, with these, with this one buck in particular. And that night that I got out of my tree stand and yelled at him, I had actually moved into position for this. So I hadn't, he didn't see me that time. I saw him walk by where I was before and then walk into the timber aways and then move up and uh, a pretty decent uh, 8.3 year old came by and I kind of grunted at it a little bit. He didn't come over to me. He went at that, he went towards him. At that point I'm thinking like, you know, maybe I'll just shoot this buck and I don't have to deal with him anymore because there's plenty of bucks that age class, you know, so if he shoots him, then he's done hunting. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, so he shot at him and missed. And then that's the next day is when I talked to him. And oddly enough, the night that I, that that happened, I climbed down and went and yelled at him. I went and got back in my stand and I saw, uh, this giant that I call Crabtree walk along that fence and work a scrape and then keep going up and then do the terrain feature. I couldn't see where he went. So the next time the wind was right, I moved, uh, closer to where I thought he would have went from there. Okay. Um, and this is all, every time I talk about moving, that's with the, with the lone wolf and four sticks. Okay. So it's my, my so running. You, now were mobile. you were now mobile. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so you started moving and I have a feeling because I know the story already. You, <laughs> you, you ran into something. Yeah. So, so I moved again, the same probably the same square you know 300 yard area but i moved again didn't see and i had a camera at this point because it was kind of close to the to the edge where i had access so i could check this camera see what was cruising by uh so i hunted that spot and i got lazy and left the stand up and then the wind changed and i couldn't hunt it so i actually had to sneak in there take it down a different time. Um, and then I went and hunted a different, totally different area. Then went back there. So I think it was the third or the fourth time in the same little area, but I'd been in a different tree each time. One time I actually even got up the tree, realized that it was a dead tree when I got high enough. So I climbed back down and picked another tree still in the dark. And then, so the third time I hung it, I sat there all day, saw maybe one deer in the morning, didn't see anything else the rest of the day. And then a, uh, two deer showed up. They, <clears throat> one was a six and one was an eight. And they, <clears throat> there's like a permission tree that they were eating. Yeah. And so the, the six showed up and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to shoot that one. Well, then the, the eight pointer showed up and I'm like, oh, that's one I'd shoot. But I don't think I should shoot. This is that. This is exactly forty yards. Right. I was like, I don't think I should shoot because they were kind of uh, playing around and moving. Well, then he just stood there for a while, and I was like, so I stopped and took, you know, took a deep breath, and I'm like, if he's just going to stand there, 
you know, it's the weekend before Thanksgiving. I've spent quite a bit of time away from the family. The life's starting to get pretty bad. If I take my time, you know, I can line this up and I can take the shot. Yeah. So I took my time, lined it up and smoked him right through the heart. Uh, he didn't even, I mean, it was like he didn't know what hit him. Yeah. So he, you know, didn't, he run, didn't even he didn't really run off. Take, yeah. No, he just kind of walked off and, and, uh, and crashed right in front of me more or less. I mean, I didn't, I could see him, I could see the weeds move where he crashed cause there's a crick right there, but he basically crashed right in front of me. But right. I mean, it just straight through his heart. He had no, no idea what hit him. So at this point you realize that now you've, uh, now you've officially, actually I'll back up a second. When you drew back and you, were you talking to yourself or something? Were you saying, Hey man, you gotta, you gotta get your shit together because you can't, you can't shoot another deer and not find it. I mean, what was going through your I, head? So I sat there and thought about it for a while before I even drew. And then, my, you know, a leg would shake and I'd like, oh, so, so it took me a while to talk myself even into drawing. And, yeah. uh, I drew and he, and he stood still and I'm like, just take your time, you know, pull the trigger, don't punch the trigger and drilled him. Nice. I mean, just, uh, I didn't post it on Facebook just cause I didn't want to, uh, you know, I'm kind of weary about what I put there just because I don't want to shed a bad light on hunting. Yeah. So I didn't want to show a picture of just a heart with a hole right. through it. Right. So, I, so I shared that with some of my friends, but I thought, yeah, I, I don't want to put it on Facebook just because of the, right. you know, I don't want to bring any bad light on hunting. So I left. So, <clears throat> so it has a nice picture of that. And, uh, and he, and he dropped right there, but yeah, I'd talked myself through it and made it. And That's then I awesome. actually, I switched to a thumb release this season or this summer to, uh, to help combat what I went through this last season. Right. Now, mechanic. now when you saw that arrow hit and you saw that deer drop, you know, a couple seconds after you hit him, what, what went through your, I mean, did you freak out or what happened? Oh, I mean, I did like the quiet, the quiet freak out, you know, to myself yeah. called Were you uh, shaking. Oh yeah. I mean, I was shaking. I was like, you know, whispering like this, oh, this is, you know, <laughs> you know, like they do on TV. Cause that's right. all I've ever seen. I think I took a, uh, I think I took a Snapchat and, uh, sent it to my buddies. And then, uh, and then I called a, a couple of, and the first thing my wife said when I called her was, is it dead? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. She's like, how do you know? I'm like, right. I'm, I can see, I can see where it fell. Like the other deer came up and kind of licked at it a little bit and then left. Like, oh, that's then, crazy. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty awesome. So you, I mean, you had just killed your very first deer ever with a bow. It happened to be a buck. Now describe what this buck looks like. Three year old, you think? Yeah, I'd say, uh, I'd say either a really nice two or a three-year-old. Uh, not still not the greatest at judging. It's uh, I think he measures out at like right. I mean, I rough measured it with like a piece of string in my tape measure. Yep. You know, looking at my phone, but it, he measures right around a hundred. Uh, he's like, you know, basic Iowa eight-pointer. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you have an idea of what I'm talking about when I say that. Yeah. Um, you know, no junk. Pretty symmetrical. Um, you know, just a really, really nice, really nice deer. 
Was, nice. So you're jacked, and 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 now you're a bow hunter, right? You yeah. Now you're I'm not just going into you're just not going in into the tree and flinging arrows. You've went to the tree. You've learned how to be mobile. You've learned how to, uh, you know, uh, learn from failure. And it sounds like you know in 2016 you were you weren't just going out to hunt, but you were or going out to sit in a tree like you mentioned earlier. You were out there hunting. You were making uh, game time decisions. You were um, like I said before, m- becoming mobile and, you know, making decisions uh, based off of, you know, what was in front of you at that particular day. So it sounds to me like you're on your way to, uh, you know, to getting better. So the, the next question is, are you excited for 2017? I'm really excited. <clears throat> I've got, uh, running a few more cameras now now though the, the problem is is so i have uh i have my lone wolf and i have two millenniums and then i sold my uh i sold one muddy and i'm probably going to sell my other muddy so i can buy some sticks to match my lone wolf stand and at this point i'm kind of like do i even want to bother putting up that other i've got one millennium up i'm like do i even want to bother putting it up because you know, I'm going to go sit there and then see something and I know I'm going to move. Now I've yeah. got all the different spots I want to hunt in my head, but it's kind of like, well, do I really want to waste, <clears throat> waste a day in the field doing that when I may be going to sit in at one time? Right. Well, the, uh, the way to look at that then is you need to, you need to go hang all your extra stands for it out in the best possible rut locations that you can find, right? And then you take that lone wolf, and when the rut hits, those are the places to start, right? In those really good, high, um, you know, the, the areas that are, deer are always going to be going to, you know, the pinch points, maybe downwind of the bedding. But then what you use the lone wolf for is when you're mobile, just like what you did this last year. So I would I would recommend keeping keeping as many stands as you possibly can and and having hang-ons in different places and then buy one set of good sticks that you can share between all the tree stands yeah and then you have well, one did, running yeah. gun setup you know what i mean i've been con- yeah i've been considering that too and i actually did that last year as i had a pair of, a set of sticks that i shared and one time i uh i forgot them at home right Right. <laughs> I had to drive well, back and get them. That's, so. uh, that happens to all of us, man. I, I, uh, my buddy Ryan, uh, my buddy Ryan one day, we, I think it was with my buddy Ryan in 2014, we went out one day and, uh, we get all the way out to the farm. We got to go to through like three gates. We get out of the car and he's like, Oh shit. I left my quiver with all my arrows at home. And I'm just like, all right, well, let's get back in and go. <laughs> so yeah. we had to drive all the way back out. Uh, it was all right. But uh, Mr. Brent Roth, I really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast. We had actually, we're going to do a, a product review podcast today, but I liked where the story, story was going. And uh, we just stuck with, uh, I guess, the so far the evolution of Brent Roth and uh, his quest to become a bow hunter. 
Yeah. <clears throat> it's, uh, I mean, for all those guys out there beginning or just starting that, that are having trouble, just pay attention to what you're doing wrong and don't let the stuff on TV think that you're, you know, you need to kill those giants or whatever, or they're always going to be a giant. You know, there has to be one for you to shoot it in the yeah. first place. And as far as for me, the, the print seems like it's always the same. It's starting to get to be the same old story. You know, if you, if you get into a magazine in the first couple of years, it'll, you'll get some good information, but then it, it starts to get to be the same stuff. But the, the podcasts seem to stay pretty fresh. So that's yeah. where, you know, obviously they're listening to one right now, but that's right. where, that's what, ma- that's what made the difference for me in that 2015 season. You know, I drew on more deer and had opportunities with more deer than I'd ever had. And then this year I took what Dan Johnson said, <laughs> move my stand and, and kill the buck so <laughs> well i tell you what you probably won't see a deer this year at all and then you'll blame me for it <laughs> hey man thanks for coming on the show all right thanks a lot dan and there you have it another podcast in the books huge shout out to Brent for taking time away from his family and doing this podcast, man. I really appreciate it. We're going to have to catch up next time I'm in town. Huge shout out to each and every one of you. I say this all the time, but I really mean it. Thank you very much for uh, downloading and listening to this podcast. Also, huge shout out to all the partners, Ripcord Arrowrest, Deer Lab, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Exodus Trail Cameras, Ozonics, Gearhead, Wasp, and that's that's the lineup. So please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast, and uh, I'd really appreciate that. Now, if you haven't already, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, go follow me there. Uh, go to iTunes, leave a review. That helps me out. That helps people find this podcast. Please go support the National Deer Alliance. If you're not a member, become a member. It's very important to me, and it's very important to the future of deer hunting that you do this so you can become educated and informed. I say this every week, almost every podcast now. Please go support the National Deer Alliance. And uh, last but not least, wear your damn safety harness. But typically, like today, I'm not going to say last but not least. I'm kind of in a weird mood right now. Just got done editing this podcast. Call up your mom or call up your dad uh, if they're still alive. Call them up and just chat with them for a little bit. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Or call someone that you haven't talked to in a while. Chat with them. Catch up. Because sometimes in life, life gets so hectic. You, you, you lose contact with the people who you know were around in your life. Uh, you know, I don't know, like this is kind of a rant for me and I don't typically do this, but, um, you, you kind of, you kind of miss out on hanging out with people that you really liked and you really liked hanging out with, but just call them up, chit chat, catch up. It doesn't take much, doesn't take much time. Just a simple phone call or maybe even a Facebook message. Hey man, what's up? How you doing? And, uh, touch base with some people that, uh, you know, may have influenced you in your past or, or you spent, a, had a lot of good times with in the past, unless they got you addicted to drugs, then 
at that point, don't call them up and get into old bad habits. Anyway, I'm rambling. It's time to end this podcast. Wear your damn safety harness.